join us. I know one minute is not enough. I do want to say thanks to Sarah, to give thanks real quick. Thanks to Sarah and the worship team. Phenomenal job. I think we could just sing, you are a good, good father here for a little while and go home. We'd be good to go. Uh, and thanks to the children's team uh, that are wrangling the kids down there in the Arctic weather. Um, they, they do a great job with the kids down there, so thanks for that. All right, if you didn't know, I'm not the pastor. There are a ton of people here. And maybe you thought Shane was coming back this week. I was anticipating a smaller crowd today, but I'm glad you're here. Um, <laughs> Shane, Shane is coming back next week, so I encourage you to come back. Um, I, I, we, I hope that Shane has got a little bit of rest from us. It's been nice to get a rest from him, not in a bad way, but it's been, it's been nice to hear some other voices. A shout out to those guys who have preached the last couple weeks. They've done a phenomenal job. I have been successful in dodging Shane's invitation to come preach for a couple years now. I've been it a couple times, and this year I thought I was going to be able to, but a couple months ago, my dad said, Jana, who's my youngest sister, is due today. She's actually due today. So I don't—I got to be available. Well, as you can see, he was the one that successfully dodged this year. <laughs> but that obviously didn't happen. Hattie thought that was funny, apparently. So, in seriousness, it's an honor to be up here. Uh, Shane, it's an honor Shane invited me and trust me to be up here. Um, and I'm really excited to just share what God has put on my heart today. Um, let's go ahead and pray real quick, and then we'll get started. Lord, thanks for this morning. Uh, thank you for being a good, good father, like we sang. Pray that uh, you would just go ahead and clear our heads and our hearts of all that is going on in our lives. Uh, so that we could hear clearly from you. Pray that the words uh, that I have are actually your words this morning. We love you in your name. Amen. So I hope you've enjoyed our Ephesians series. I'm glad that whoever picked Ephesians did. Ephesians is one of my favorite chapters. What I love about Ephesians is that it is 99% of it, really all of it, but 99% of it is applicable right away. You can read it and apply it to your life immediately. You don't have to interpret it or think about it in context or anything else. You can read it and interpret it to your life right away. What I want to do before I jump into talking about Ephesians 5 today, I want to just give a little bit of credit where credit is due, and also kind of point us to something. In a men's study I was in a couple weeks ago, this was brought up, and I think sometimes we think that people that you know, share up here, or pastors, have this deep, deep biblical knowledge. A lot of them do, don't get me wrong. Um, but in this day and age, we really, none of us have excuse not to have deep biblical knowledge. We have so many resources in front of us um, that if we really want to, we could go to those resources and really gain some deep biblical knowledge that's valuable for us. So as I was prepared for this sermon, I'll be honest, I read through Ephesians, read through chapter 5, and I was really, initially I was lost. I'm like, I don't know where you want me to go with this. There's so many different ways to go with this. There's so much good stuff in Ephesians. Um, that I, I'm not sure where to go. So I went to a couple resources that I want to point out, not just to give resource to them, but I also for all of us to know that we have access to them. So the first one, if you are looking for a Bible or like an extra Bible, the Trusty Old Life Application Bible. Um, it's been a Bible I've carried for a long time. Um, but it's a great resource because it just has a very simple commentary at the bottom of each page. You don't have to open up other commentaries. You don't have to go to other websites. You don't have to go to other places. It just has a simple commentary. So if you don't have a Bible, I would suggest getting one of those. Um, it is a great resource to have. The second two on here, I want to. I know this hasn't been talked about in a while, or maybe it was, and someday it wasn't here. Um, but this, the church has access to what's called Right Now Media. I believe that everyone could still have access to that. Is that correct? Blaine has one more day of work to do, so make sure everybody asks him on the way out today to get you connected. Um, so 
it is a phenomenal resource. If you've never been on it, it is an online database of hundreds and hundreds of Bible studies, sermon series, kid series, uh, video series, all kinds of different stuff on here. The nice thing is it's vetted material, so you don't have to worry about going on there. Is this some weird new agey stuff? But it's good stuff. Uh, everything I've seen on there has been great. Those of you who have used it before know that. But two things I want to point out on here that I went to as I was preparing for this sermon series is number one is the Bible Project. If you've never looked at this, even if you're not even studying the Bible, it's that good. It's just entertaining, not entertaining, but it's valuable stuff that connects you right away as you watch it. It's a, it's a video illustration done by two extremely intelligent pastors that do the best job of breaking down biblical concepts and verses that I've ever seen. Um, so check that out. It's called The Bible Project. You can see it on YouTube as well, but it is on Right Now Media. And then the other one, this maybe shows my mental capacity, uh, but Phil Vischer, who's the old VeggieTales guy, he doesn't do VeggieTales anymore, but he has two, two video series. One's, one's called What's in the Bible, the other one's called What's God's Plan. Um, and again, they're designed for kids, but they, they break down biblical concepts so well uh, that it is just really, really good stuff. I would definitely check those out, um, especially the Ephesians ones. As I looked through those, it just gave me a ton of clarity on what I was going to talk about. All right, moving on. Let's do a quick review. I forget that there's something up there. I keep turning around looking at you. But. All right, let's, let's, let's review real quick before we get into chapter 5. So Ephesians, the author is Paul, who used to be Saul. Uh, Saul was a nasty guy. His role was actually to keep the gospel from being spread. He didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah, so he did some nasty things to make sure that didn't happen. He's got a, he has a conversion. He's blinded for a couple days. Uh, he's converted to be, becoming a Christian, realizes the gospel is true. Switches teams, he becomes the spreader of the gospel. He becomes a missionary, spreads the gospel all over the world, uh, becomes a pivotal character um, in the Bible. One of his missionary journeys is to the city of Ephesus. In Ephesus, uh, he uh, goes there, he spends three years there, um, starts a church, converts a ton of both Jews and Gentiles to Christianity, um, and makes a huge impact. Leaves a couple years later, writes, or is in prison and wants to do this follow-up with the city of Ephesus, the believers that are there, just to kind of make sure everything is going right um, and they haven't faded to some other things. In the chapter, or in the book of Ephesians, it is broken up into two parts. So this is really important for us to understand as we move into chapter 5. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul really focuses on this concept of Jesus being our Savior. It's the story of the gospel and how all history comes to climax in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. Chapters 4 through 6, which where we, we will fall today, Paul focuses on this concept of Jesus being our Lord. It's about how the gospel should affect the way that we live. And Paul is, Paul is adamant that the city of Ephesus understands both those concepts, that Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord. He saves us from our sins, but he should also impact the way that we live on a daily basis. This gets us right into chapter 5 in the heart of Paul's letter. Five is really a continuation of chapter four with Shaq, and Rodacher did a great job of explaining to us here in the last couple weeks. But our key verse for today actually comes from chapter four, which is 4, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In this verse, Justin talked about last week just a little bit, Paul talks about putting off the old sinful man and putting on a new man that looks like Jesus' example here on earth. The illustration that I want to give us this morning is to think about taking off old, dirty clothes 
and putting on new clean clothes. So, don't worry, I'm not going to change, but I do have an illustration for us. Okay, so as we look at this illustration, I'm going to ask you to put your imagination caps on, and I'm also going to ask you to put your judgmental caps on. I know none of you are judgmental, but I'm going to ask you to do that for one second, go out of character for a second. But let's imagine that this was this morning. This was actually, I think, a couple springs ago. Um, let's imagine that was this morning. It gets to be about 10.15, 10.20, 10.25 when we leave for church sometimes. Um, and we say, all right, kids, time to go to church. Get in the van. So we get in the van. We come rolling in during the first song. Um, and you all have your imaginary judgmental caps on. We walk into church. Our kids looking like this. What would you think? All right? Again, we have our judgmental caps on. Some of you would think, man, do they really care about their kids? Do they care about the well-being of their children? Um, do they care about ruining their van? Which we don't. Do you, do you care about making a mess at church or ruining the carpet or ruining stuff downstairs? They really just don't care about their children. Right? In contrast, let's go to the next picture. All right. We don't look like this very often. This must have been Easter uh, or Mother's Day or something like this. But in contrast... Again, we have our imaginary judgmental hats on, remember, we come walking in. What would we think? So some of us would think, man, they like to take care of their kids. They like to make sure they're matching, which never happens. Uh, they like to make sure their kids' hairs are combed and their cars are clean. They like to teach their kids about being respectful to church and, and, and being looking presentable at church. Now, I want to stop for one second before we go too far. Remember this analogy. I am not saying in any way, stretch, or form that this is how your kids have to look if you come. <laughs> Our kids look much more like the first picture than they do the second most mornings. But for, for sake of illustration, think about this. Come, we, we encourage you to come as you are. If you come like the first picture, don't worry, we're not. Those are imaginary judgmental caps that we had on. We're not going to judge you. All right, just come as you are. Anyways, back to the illustration. We have our imaginary judgmental caps on. Let's think about what Paul is trying to say in chapter 4 and then into chapter 5. If we proclaim that we are followers of God and that He is our Father, if we walk around in our old, dirty, sinful clothes all the time, in the way that we speak, in the way, the way that we act, and we treat others, then what will others think about our Father? In contrast, if we walk around in new, clean clothes, in the way that we act and speak and treat others, the way that Jesus did, then others will be attracted to God. This is our opportunity to witness. I would imagine that the majority of us in here are not gifted evangelists. We are not gifted to go out and you know stand on the street corner with the sandwich board and share the gospel. I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but most of us aren't gifted in that way. But most of us can put these clean clothes on that we're going to talk about in a minute to be an example of Christ, to point others to him, to be an example for him. In chapter 5, Paul gives us quite a few examples of what these old dirty clothes look like and what the new clean clothes should look like. Please hear this as we go through, the, go through these things. This is not because following Christ is a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. Don't hear that. It is because the way that we follow Christ and God living in us should be reflected in the way that we act. This morning we're going to walk through some examples of these old and new clothes, and I'm going to ask you as we go through them is to just do a quick self-reflection. We probably won't have time to stop and really talk through that reflection, but just reflect on yourself. I think the reflection says, I have, starting at one, I have muddy, dirty clothes on, and going to five, um, I, have, I have clean clothes on, I represent God in my life. So just, I challenge you, I challenge all of us to, to do a self-evaluation as we go through here. 
All right, let's get into chapter 5 here, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Here, Paul is talk, asking us to do take off and put on. He asks us to take off loving others conditionally or for what they do for us, or loving ourselves, for, or sorry, loving others for selfish gain. He asks us to put on loving one another unconditionally in a sacrificial way. We need to ask ourselves here as we kind of evaluate, do we love others because it makes us feel good? Do we love others because what they do for us? Paul tells us to love one another in a sacrificial way. This is tough. This means putting others' interests first. This means that we need to be willing to sacrifice our own comfort and well-being to love others. This also means that we need to love others that look, sound, and act differently than we do. I don't mean to say that we have to love everything that others do and stand for, but we need to love others no matter what. No matter how much we disagree with someone, that disagreement ends at the foot of the cross. Jesus died for them just as much as he died for us. Without going too far down the rabbit trail, in the last year and a half, we've had many choices about loving others and how that looks. The question we need to ask ourselves, and ourselves, not just you, ourselves, but were we more worried about others' agendas and our own agendas than we were about loving them and doing the things that show how much we love them? I'm not going to go further down that rabbit trail, but something we need to think about. Evaluate yourself for a quick second, and we're going to move on. Chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be named among you, as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor talk, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks for this, you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So we're going to take two things from these, these verses here. The first thing Paul talks to, us, talks to us about taking off fornication, uncleanliness, covetousness, and idolatry. He asks us to put on contentment with what God has given you. Fornication and covetousness can lead to idolatry, which are obsessions and addictions. Those are words we use a little bit more. These obsessions and addictions can lead us to creating little gods that rule over our lives and influence the way that we talk, act, and treat others, more than God himself does. In contrast to all of that is contentment. Are we happy with who we are, where we are, what we are? Is where God has us put, or where God has put us at this present moment enough for us because that's where he wants us to be? I'm not saying it's wrong to have goals and aspirations and look towards the future, but sometimes when we do that, we can get ourselves into trouble. The question we need to ask ourselves is, am I living in God's will? <clears throat> if I'm living in God's will, I need to be content with that. I'm a strong believer that God opens and closes doors when he is ready to. When we try to pry those open, that's when we get into trouble. Contentment is so counterculture. We, we don't live in a culture of contentment. It's like a curse word at times. If we're content and we speak with contentment, others are going to be pointing to God and they're going to wonder what's different about us. 
take a second and self-reflect on that one. Let's go back to 5.4. It says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Paul here asks us to take off foolish talking and coarse jesting, which is joking, and to put on talking in a way that reflects God living in you and points others to him by giving thanks in all circumstances. In our culture, foolish talking and coarse jesting or joking has become so commonplace that I think we've become desensitized. In most social settings, it's hard to find people that don't talk harshly about others, that don't curse, that don't discuss inappropriate things. This foolish talk and coarse jesting have become so common that simply hearing somebody that doesn't talk like this makes us wonder what's wrong with them or makes us wonder what's different about them and points us to God. This is an area that we can easily represent God in our lives just by the way that we talk, especially in social settings, non-church social settings. I'm going to be open and honest here and admit that this is an area that I struggle with. Many times I have found that I've lost my ability to witness to others because of the way that I get caught up with talk at work. But I have found that the more that I seek God in prayer and scripture, and the more that I spend time in quality Christian community, the easier that this battle becomes. Self-reflect for a second. All right, five, six through seven. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because these things... And the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul here asks us to take off being deceived by empty words and to put on being open to listening to a diverse community of believers. I'm going to steal some things from Rodacher a few weeks ago. But what do we consume on a daily basis? We need to ask ourselves. Do we just consume cable news, Facebook, Twitter, social media? Rodocker talked a few weeks ago about how this stuff is just, it's nasty most of the time. It's people arguing, it's people putting each other down. The other thing we need to ask is, do we only consume material on one side of things? Or do we have a well-rounded view of topics? I believe that we have to be very careful about what we consume. Because these types of empty words that we just talked about can lead to thoughts and opinions that get submitted, that aren't biblical or godly or represent Jesus to others. I believe the way that we combat this is through a community of believers. Let me add something to that. I believe that we need to, the way that we combat this is by being part of a diverse community of believers. And this is not just racially diverse, but socially, economically, generationally, geographically, politically, etc., etc. God speaks to all of us differently. So in a diverse community of believers, we can hear how God speaks to others in different ways than he does to us. This will give us a, a well-rounded perspective of this crazy world that we live in. And gives us information that comes from God, not just talking heads. So take a second and think about that. Alright, 515 through 17. I didn't start my timer, so I have no idea how I'm doing, but we're going to keep going. All right, 515 through 17. See that when you walk circumspectly, I don't know if that's right, but we're going to go with it, which means carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Here Paul is asking us to take off wasting time on fruitless things. Asking us to put on redeeming the time that we do have. What do we do when we have free time? Do we scroll social media? I call it, I call it thumb hustling. <laughs> do we binge watch Netflix? Do we make idols of our kids, of our hobbies, of other things? I believe those things in moderation are okay. Don't get me wrong. But they can easily get out of control and consume so much of our time. Or are we spending time the way that Jesus spent time here on earth? Investing in others, serving those in need, witnessing to others, fellowshipping with the Father. Paul challenges us to redeem the time we have by investing in others and growing closer to the Father. I challenge all of us this week to think about ways that you are not redeeming your time, that you're wasting your time on our, our time on fruitless things. Challenge you to turn the TV off. This is an area my wife and I struggle with. I'll be honest with you, we were up till 12.15 watching Netflix last night. And you wake up and you think, okay, was that time really well spent? Um, we need to get better at redeeming the time that we do have. Challenge you, uh, something that somebody challenged me years ago was to turn the radio off as you drive to work. Those of you that have a decent drive to work, um, pray, listen to God. It's been really impactful, not just listening to whatever. All right, self-reflect real quick. 518, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, which is drunkenness, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul here is talking about not just drinking wine, but he's talking about being under the influence. So he challenges us to take off being under the influence of something that clouds our judgment, and put on being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is not just about being drunk. Are there some other things, substances, things, people that put us under the influence and cloud our judgment? That substance, thing, or person can keep our eyes from God and make us make poor decisions that don't honor Him. In contrast, we can be drunk with the Holy Spirit, living in so in line with Him that He guides our every step. This is hard to do. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. But we can get there. All right, 19 through 22. Last couple here. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want real simple here. What Paul is asking us is to take off being a miserable person. Because <laughs> miserable people don't sing and they're not thankful, right? He asks us to put on singing together, singing alone, being thankful for everything. But we need to ask ourselves, do others enjoy being around us? Are we thankful? And can people tell that we're thankful by the way that we talk? It's so easy to get in conversations that are complaining about things, right? About the weather, about the car, about whatever. It's easy to do that. But are our conversations about how thankful we are? I believe that Paul is what Paul is getting at here is joy. Joyful people sing alone and together in the shower, in your car, 
They sing up here. Uh, they sing everywhere, right? Because they're joy. They're so filled with joy. So we need to ask ourselves, are we so joyful that it makes us want to sing? Again, you can sing wherever, whatever setting you want to sing in. But are we so joyful that it makes us want to sing? Do we exude thankfulness in all things? Is our thankfulness attractive to others? Is our thankfulness and joy attractive to others? Does it point others to God? Take a second and self-reflect on that. One, I don't know if I'm over time or not again. I'm just going to keep going. Sorry, children. 522 through 32. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I do want to read the first couple here, but wives submit to your I'm sorry, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I'll stop there for one second. I would challenge you, just for time's sake, we're not going to go through this whole thing, but I would challenge you, if you are married or you're thinking about getting married at some point in time, take some time with your spouse and read through these, this section of Scripture. I was not even going to talk about this today, um, but I, because I feel like this could really be a whole sermon series or a whole sermon in and of itself. But I do. But I felt like as I was going through this, I really needed to talk about this because I feel that quality marriages is probably the number one, if not number one, in the top three ways that we can witness to people around us. Because marriage in our world is a mess, right? Us having quality marriages and the way that we treat our spouses is going to point others to God immediately, because again, it is so countercultural. What Paul is trying to get at here, are, 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 I simplified it as much as possible, because we could, like I said, we could get real deep into this. But Paul is asking us to take off selfishness and put on selflessness. Again, because this is really important. Take off selfishness and put on selflessness. To have a quality marriage, we could read through, again, we could read through all that and interpret it in a lot of different ways. But in order to have a quality marriage, we have to be selfless. And being selfless, selfless in our marriage, and really in a lot of our relationships, is going to point people directly to the Father. Because again, we don't live in a society that's very selfless. So ask ourselves, in my marriage relationship, and really this applies to other relationships, are we willing to put the needs and the wants of our spouse or whoever we're in a relationship with ahead of our own. That's not easy to do, but again, it's going to point others to the Father. In closing, why do we need to put these new clothes on? This new self. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men, so that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. We need to put these new clothes on, so that others can see God living in us, and through us, and be attracted to Him.